0: running 100 miles is not mostly about running you have a reason big enough to want to do it and yes there's some training and preparation that needs to go into it but the majority of it is just that will and and mindset and to me there are definitely people in our sport and there's you know personalities of like ah like grit and harsh and like let's do this and I don't jive with that to me it's more about like the gratitude and like the appreciation and the embracing of the experience and Um, more like the softness of it, honestly, that speaks to me. And so, yeah, I think that most people could cover that distance.
1: Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. I'm really excited to introduce our newest podcast sponsor, Prevenex. Many of you may have heard of Prevenex and their joint health supplement, Joint Health Plus, which is a great joint health supplement that has become a go-to for many, many runners. But I actually want to tell you about a completely different product that has had an amazing impact on my health. First, for those of you who don't know Prevenex, they make clinically effective supplements that promote longevity, performance, and everyday health and they donate vitamins to malnourished children with every order, which is really cool. Most importantly, and I can tell you this from firsthand experience, their products are awesome and flat out work. So for full transparency, I've struggled with GI issues for many years, which definitely has negatively impacted my running and health. I was diagnosed with IBS, and have always had to go to the bathroom a bunch of times before getting out the door and hitting the trails of the road. I started taking Prevonex's probiotic a few months ago. My GI issues got so much better. I know I can't pin it on one change, but progress is progress. I was surprised, but when I took the probiotic with me on a visit to my sports dietitian, she wasn't. Prevenix's probiotic has 30 billion healthy bacteria per serving, six clinically proven bacteria strains that address six different areas of digestive health, and a clinically proven prebiotic, which helps with the growth and colonization of healthy bacteria in the gut. This episode is brought to you by Freedom Solar Power. When I first started looking into solar, I thought it would be a clunky and expensive process. I've learned it isn't nearly as hard as you think. Freedom Solar Power makes it simple. They provide a turnkey solution that is focused on educating their customers on the experience from installation to everyday use and savings. They ensure you have all the information needed to make sure going solar is right for you. From firsthand experience, it makes sense both financially and for the environment. With no down payment required, solar not only adds immediate value to your home, but it's also great for the environment and might even provide immediate savings, not to mention the year-end tax benefits, a credit of 26% this year. Freedom Solar operates in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida, and there are plenty of other great options nationwide. Thank you to Tracksmith for sponsoring this episode. Tracksmith is an independent running brand inspired by a deep love of the sport. Their spring collection is now available and features staples thoughtfully designed for this season of training. From their versatile session tops cut from a soft stretch knit, to Lane 5 and Reggie short tights perfect for racing a marathon, these pieces are built to work as hard as you do. Tracksmith is a brand for committed runners like you and me, people who know that the best part of a busy day is squeezing in a workout. They offer products for training, racing, and rest days, which you know I'm a fan of, and create experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run will receive free shipping and 5% of the purchase amount will be donated to the Michael J. Fox Foundation to help find a cure and support those living with Parkinson's. Welcome back. I have Addie Bracey joining me on the podcast today. Addie, thanks so much for taking some time to chat.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: Of course. Um, first question, we'll dive right into it. Who is Addie?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, I guess I'm, I'm many things. I'm an athlete. I'm a sports psychology consultant. I'm a daughter, a sister, <laughs> um, an aunt, um, a friend. Yeah, many things. I'm um, both in a personal and professional sense, pretty heavily involved in the running world. Um, so I'm an athlete, I'm a coach and, uh, do some sports psychology work. Um, and I think kind of the people around me and the things I spend time doing kind of tend to fall under the umbrella of running in some way.
1: Cool. Um, I'm sure we'll dive into all of those different hats that you wear. Let's set the stage with how you got into running. Um, do you remember what that process was like? Do you remember your first run?
0: Uh, yes, I don't remember my first run necessarily, but I have a very distinct memory of like the first time I really fell in love with running. Um, my my dad was a runner, pretty avid runner, big fan of the sport. So I feel lucky that I got introduced to it pretty young. He was training for triathlons when I was pretty young, and I would like go to the track with him and sit in like the long jump pit while he would do laps, and then eventually would like jump in for a lap, you know, here or there, um, and then you know graduated to where I could run around the block with him, and then um, that just kind of grew and grew and grew and the first time I remember really falling in love with running was we had just moved to a new town and to a new house. And um, I was probably 11, uh, 10 or 11. And he discovered that there was like a trail around the lake behind the house, but he wasn't sure how far it was. And he had decided one Saturday he was going to just go run the whole trail and and figure out how far it was. And um, I have a twin brother and we were like, cool, that sounds fun. And so we went out with him and he had kind of told my mom to... There was like a marina on the far side and you know told her like meet us there in an hour just in case either one of them like wants to stop and so we're running along and we get to the far side and you know it's hot and we're tired and we've already run further than i'd ever run before and uh, my mom was there and my brother was like yeah i'm done i'm out and, like you know gets in the minivan and, and takes a ride home and my dad's like all right you know ad what about you um and i was like no i'm I'm here for it let's go let's keep going and so um, we continued and i think it ended up being like 14 or 15 miles and took us took us all afternoon but um that's a really distinct memory in my mind of me remembering for the first time, like really choosing to see what my limits were or choosing to like kind of push through what was feeling hard and uncomfortable and just feeling like really curious about the sport. And I feel fortunate that, you know, gosh, 20 some years later, I still feel that same curiosity.
1: What does that curiosity mean?
0: Um, I think I'm still just still figuring out what my body can do and my mind can do. I think more recently with more of my recent challenges, it's more that second piece, the mental piece, and seeing how far and long I can push myself. I did the whole track thing and definitely think I at least scratched the surface of what my body was physically capable of. And it's just curiosity. I think I've always told myself I'd stay in this sport until I felt like I got everything out of myself that I could. And it just I still don't feel like I've reached that point yet. So just continuing to try different and hard things and until I feel like I have...
1: I talked to a couple of people recently who have also used that word curiosity around exploration of limits and boundaries. Um, I had a good chat with Ryan Montgomery yesterday, and that's how he felt with his first 100 miler and with like going longer in distance. And I had another chat with, um, her name is Claire Farrow, and Western States was her second 100. She got in with one ticket. And her journey to ultra was basically like, I have no expectations, let's see what I can do, kind of a vibe leading to like some really incredible things, like six hours, 12 hours, 48 hours. Now she's looking at six days and she's like, what is is that like for the brain um, and the body? And I just find this like, I don't wanna call it like childish naivety, but you don't know what's on the other side. So given your background, why is that so motivating?
0: Um, I, I mean, I think it's it's for a number of reasons. One, there's there's so much unknown in life, period. But, you know, in, especially in, in probably any performance setting and then especially in our performance setting, just given the nature of it and how far from what you're going to face on race day, you know, you face on a day-to-day basis. Um, so there's one thing I talk about a lot in the sports psychology work I do is um, we tend to like name emotions or feelings and then what we are naming those things have like a meaning attached to it that then impacts our perspective and how we're interpreting that information and um, curiosity is a positive and productive way to handle the unknown you know we could also handle it with anxiety and worry and concern and those those two things are pretty similar there's a lot of like similarities between the two um so when you when you hear people using the word curiosity to me is is a really good indication that they've Kind of had a hack or a brain hack to to recognize like there's a lot of unknown that's that's coming up and the only way to really approach that in a way that feels like fun and exciting is with curiosity and then on the flip side to, to what you just said about um, like being naive in a way being curious also um, is associated with like a beginner's mind meaning. You come in with less preconceived notions. You come in with less expectations, and therefore your view of the situation and experience is bigger. Meaning, you can take in more information and make better decisions versus coming in with a more um, a narrow mind or having a certain idea of how things are going to turn out, which like really literally narrows your view of like the information you're able to to uh, take into consideration in a given moment, and that usually leads to poorer decision making. Or um, yeah,
1: so the way that you Describe like the beginner's mindset or, or, you know, going into it without any preconceived notions. It makes me think of a marathon I did in 2019 where I stood on the start line having previously failed at breaking three hours in the marathon repeatedly and not learning from it and being so singularly focused on the time and getting to that start line, like truly appreciative of the process and ready to like celebrate that experience. And it's just fascinating. Like, yes, I was probably a little more fit, but I, I had been that fit before, but there was like an ease and a, like a lightness or weightlessness to running that I had never felt before when I, when I set off. And it's just so fascinating how like a shift in perspective can impact physical performance.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I would be curious to hear more about that story. If there was like a, a lifting of expectations of, of yourself too, you know, there's, Something that comes with that, and like you just described, envisioning something you know, many times or daydreaming about something over and over and over can sometimes also come with maybe an unintentional byproduct of like creating a, a map of what that's going to look like or creating this very real image in your mind of what that experience is going to be like. And then when you kind of find yourself in the experience and it's not matching the one you envisioned or how you saw it playing in your head so many times that can be really hard to kind of reconcile in the moment. And and what you're describing sounds much more like just this ability to stay present and like embrace that certain experience as like its own independent experience. And then the fascinating thing is that that's times when, you know, the best performances also happen.
1: Yeah. And I can't figure out how to, how to replicate it because I, I stood on that line, like truly not caring what number showed up on the finishing clock. And like I said, I ran with like a not effortlessness. It certainly got hard at mile 18 and I chose to, you know, increase that and make it hurt more so that I could achieve the, you know, the best on that day. And I, I truly feel like I got everything out of my body on that day that it was prepared to give me. And that was probably my sixth marathon. And I had never felt that way before. I always crashed, you know, 15, 18 miles in. And then you'd hit the wall and 20 miles 20 and beyond was was brutal. So it's just such a, a dichotomy between that lived experience in that one day and every other time I've I've gone about it.
0: Have you competed since then? Like have you had races and, and not had similar experiences to that?
1: Um, I've run one two marathons since then. One of them was Boston twenty twenty one, and I went into it really stressed. And physically, I don't. I was not prepared. I, I thought I was going to run a few months out. I thought I would be in like in shape to jog like a two fifty seven, and I ran a three thirty six, like which was a brutal effort. And then I paced my girlfriend at CIM um, in December of last year, and it felt mostly effortless. <laughs> and I didn't know that I would be pacing her for the whole race, and. I went into it with this curiosity of like, how far are we going to go? And um, she ran 15 miles at a 309 pace, and um, then had a hamstring issue pop up. So we we backed off that pace. But like that would have been my second fastest marathon had we continued at that at that pace. And and I started that day not not knowing if I'd run 10 miles, 12 miles, 15 or 26, and it was the least stressed I'd ever been prior to, you know, running a marathon.
0: Yeah, totally. I believe it. I mean, that, that makes sense with, uh, you can't have more of like an open mind if you are going into something and not knowing how far, how long you're even going to go. And, um, it's actually interesting. My, my marathon PR is also at CIM and it's, it's not, it, it's a similar story in the sense that I, I didn't sleep the night before and it felt like really awful. So I called my coach before the race and was like, I didn't sleep even 10 minutes. Like, it's, wow. it, it would be dumb for me to go out and race. Like, let me just not do this race and we'll try to find another one in like a week or two. Um, and he said, you know, just start it. And if, as soon as you start feeling terrible, just pull out. Like, that's fine. But like, you're there. Let's just start. And so it was the same thing where I was like, all right, I guess I'll start this stupid thing, but I'm probably not going to make it very far. And I, didn't feel great, but I you know, had a six minute PR and ran 235. And um, it was this really interesting experience of like, number one, I expected to feel terrible. And so that like kind of took the sting out of it. And number two, I knew that I could like kind of stop at any point. And I don't think that like approach is always successful. But for some reason, in that moment, it, it kind of was of like, it took the pressure off of that having to be like some, some big deal. And if it didn't happen, then, you know, I could do it again in a few weeks. And um, yeah, it's just it's just interesting how envir- environmental factors that or situational factors that impact your just perception of what you're about to do can have such a drastic impact on your mindset.
1: So what are, what are the takeaways for someone listening? And like, how would they action that if they were struggling to say, execute a marathon?
0: Um, yeah, that's a good question. I wouldn't suggest like not sleeping the night before. Um, <laughs> Don't <I> sleep mean, <laughs> and
1: have no expectations.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think one piece of it was, like I said, I, I've seen something similar happen a few times when I've been um, like sick before a race, which again, I'm not recommending racing when you're sick, but there is this weird, you know, it's not a secret that, um, one of the keys to distance running of, you know, any magnitude or any distance or intensity or level or whatever is has to do with like your relationship with discomfort and pain and like what that means. Um, and I think there's been times in my career and then what I've seen from a lot of people I work with is that there's this almost unintentional and maybe you don't even notice it, but this, um, expectation of like, if I'm super well-trained and I'm so well-prepared, like this thing is just going to like run itself, you know, like I'm going to go out there, I'm going to feel so good. And I've been doing this for 20 years and that is not how it works. Um, you know, it's always going to be uncomfortable. It's always going to be challenging. And there's just, I think times when, like I said, situational factors have taken the pressure off or the meaning out of what the discomfort means. Like, okay, well, I feel bad because I didn't sleep last night, not because this pace is too fast. You know, I was able to kind of reconcile that in the moment. Um, And now, you know, especially doing 100 mile races, like something I tell myself, one of my mantras is, um, is two things. One is like, this is normal to feel like this. And number two, um, I'll tell myself like, this pain is just superficial. Like it's, it's a byproduct of the situation. It doesn't have to mean anything. And so I think that's one key is um, really looking at what you let discomfort and pain mean to you. And it's part of the process. And the more that you can just like accept that it's going to be there and like make peace with that, the... The better it's going to be, um, and then and then two, yeah, I think that it's it's hard because I think that you and I talked about this before in a previous conversation. But there's a, a place and a, a time for daydreaming and thinking about what an experience is going to be like. It's motivating and um, it's good planning sometimes. But also, if that goes too far, or you're using mm-hmm. this imagined experience as your reference point, kind of like I mentioned earlier, it's really hard to reconcile in the moment if that doesn't match like what you were expecting. So I think the other piece is like just really being present and embracing like a race for the experience that it's going to be and knowing that every race experience is going to be different. And to me, that's exciting. Once you can get past how scary that can feel is just like, let me just go into this experience and take every mile as it comes. And it's going to be different than anything I've ever done before, probably, but there's also going to be similarities and like, I'm ready for that. So I think those, those two things, like being present and being open to each race, being a new experience, and then also kind of looking at your relationship with discomfort.
1: It reminds me of a quote from Alexi Pappas where she said, when you're chasing a big dream, you're supposed to feel good a third of the time, okay a third of the time, and bad a third of the time. And I think that like, positioning it like this like, really helps to dial expectations. And, and I think back to like when I'm in a solid training block, my Thursday and Sunday runs feel like garbage consistently because <laughs> I've done a workout mm-hmm. on Wednesday and I've done a long run on Saturday and sometimes those runs feel magical those those um recovery runs and sometimes they don't but it's like 50-50 and it's sort of like a crapshoot and so if it feels good it's like wow what a what a cool experience this is um and if it feels like crap it's like okay cool i just did <laughs> i just did a lot of work yesterday and it really helps to to put it in perspective and and set yourself up for the proper expectations
0: yeah, totally, and I would also argue that um, as someone that works in, in mental training and sports psychology, um, you know, mental training is called mental training for a reason. It requires intention and focus and effort. And I see a lot of those challenging days that you're talking about. Is that's those are the days where you you know you build the mental skills, and a lot of that happens by default and happens you know just out of the sheer situation of going out and, and doing a run the day after a hard effort, but to use those those times and experiences with intention and recognizing like, okay, this is a really good day to practice, you know, distraction management, or this is a really good day to practice, like my self talk. And, you know, maybe on a Sunday after you did a hard long run the day before is a good day to like leave your headphones at home and, and make it a little bit more challenging for yourself to deal with that and hone those skills so that it feels more purposeful and intentional. I think that those are times when your body yeah, is, is maybe recovering and it's not a day to push or like to really try to make gains there. But those are like the perfect days also to, to work on different mental skills than maybe you would on a long run or a workout. So that's that's a way that I also try to think about those days and feel like I'm still getting, you know, 100% training out of that day.
1: I love that. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. PreveneX has amazing products that have benefit my health and the health of other runners that I know, which is why I'm so excited to introduce PreveneX to you as our newest sponsor. They also have a killer everyday immune supplement called Immune Health Plus that I've been taking and we'll tell you about in a future episode, but I highly, highly recommend you check these out and try the products for yourself. One of the best parts is that if you don't experience benefits on any product within 30 days, they have a no questions asked 100% money back guarantee for a full refund. You have no risk and everything to gain here. Use code FTLR for 15% off your first purchase of any products at Prevenix.com. That's P R E V I N E X.com. And I can't wait to hear about how these products are making a difference and creating health in your life. Thanks again to Freedom Solar Power for supporting this episode of the podcast and our environment by providing an easy green energy source. The buying process was fascinating and eye opening, and I am excited to pay my learnings forward. If you're curious about going solar in your home, message me on Twitter or Instagram, and I'd be happy to help your journey by providing some great resources. Freedom Solar is a full service solar company that's been installing solar panels and backup power systems since 2007. They operate in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida. Not in any of those states. Don't fret. My parents have the same panels from SunPower that were installed by a different company in Massachusetts. SunPower is the best in the business, and that's what Freedom Solar uses. I've enjoyed working with the whole team over at Freedom Solar, and I'm sure you will, too. Thanks again to Tracksmith for supporting the podcast and their continued support of not just this podcast, but the running community in general. I'm proud to partner with Tracksmith, and they're going to donate 5% of your order to the Michael J. Fox Foundation for all orders, and you'll also get free shipping. Michael J. Fox Foundation is dedicated to finding a cure and helping those living with Parkinson's. Both of my grandfathers have or had Parkinson's, and I'm grateful of Tracksmith's support for something so personal. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run, one word, will contribute towards this donation. Their spring collection is now available and features staples thoughtfully designed for this season of training. I'm curious if I could share a couple of observations I've gleaned from this podcast and the uh, two hundred plus episodes of high performers, industry executives and whatnot, and and hear your your take on my takeaways. Can we do that? Absolutely. Cool. So I think it was like March of 2020, in around episode 55 or something like that. I asked Vanessa Fraser what she would be really proud of in five to 10 years, fully expecting her to say something like winning an Olympic gold medal or something, something like that. Um, Her answer was completely subjective and her answer was getting better. (laughs) Those were the two words that she gave. Um, It wasn't anything tangible, couldn't be measured. um, And I was curious that if this was Uh, you know, were to be a consistent thing with elite athletes. So I was really just getting started with the podcast. Um, So I kept asking the question and people kept answering with similar subjective feelings about the process and getting better and like being proud of themselves and contributing to a team and all these things that they have control over. And even more so, I started asking about defining success and like, what does success mean to you? And oftentimes the answers were the things that these people were proud of. So again, success was not winning an Olympic gold. The thing that they were proud of was not winning Olympic gold. It was the process of getting better. Did I get the most out of my body for the last 10 years or that kind of a thing? With your background, I'm really curious. First, what do you think about that? And, and why is that the answer for 98% of these highly successful conventionally Successful people, and, and then I have a follow up question. <laughs> but we'll start from there with the with the loaded intro.
0: I was, was going to say I can anticipate the follow up question. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it definitely falls in in line a ton with you know like this this idea of mastery and and mastery mindset, which is you know a big concept in sports psychology and just psychology in general, performance psychology, human psychology, which is essentially um someone mastering a skill or or, you know whatever it is they're kind of honing to the, the level that they can yeah like you said number one being the most within their control but it's also like motivating over the long term you know if you had just have a goal of like running a certain time or accomplishing you know some kind of variable measurement or metric for what that means you know then what um and I, and I would argue that it is measurable. You know, getting better is, is measurable. Yeah, it's not as maybe objective as um, it could be. Um, but I, I'm not surprised by that answer at all, actually. And, and think that that's um, it's something that you see time and time again in performance of any kind. I think the other piece is um, there's always something to be working on if that is your goal. If your goal is to like improve as a whole then there's always a takeaway. There's always something that, um, yeah, that maybe needs more time or attention. And to me, that's like comforting. It's comforting to look back at an experience and say like, okay, well, what can I do better now? Um, and, and be able to focus on that instead of kind of having these objective benchmarks. So it doesn't surprise me that that, that was her answer. And is actually like quite cool to see. You know, like real life examples of what the research says and what the data says, which is, yeah, this this mastery and like growth mindset being more sustainable, and and like the approach of mo- some of the most or all of the most accomplished you know people in the world.
1: What's been interesting to parallel that is the approach of amateurs being goal focused and like objectively focused on like bqing or breaking three or breaking four or doing a hundred miler or whatever it might be. So I'm curious, like, why do you think there's a disconnect between what the pros are saying and what the amateurs are doing? And I, I don't think this is always the case. It's just observationally. And and I was, I'd call it plagued by the same problem for years. So I'm I'm not saying I'm, you know, <laughs> above it by any means. Um, but I'm curious, why do you think that there is that disconnect or or dichotomy there?
0: That is an interesting perspective. I mean, I think it gives some direction. It's almost like the chicken or the egg kind of thing. You know, if you're most people, not all, but most people at the top of our sport, you know, from shorter distances, track to to ultras, even have have been athletes for most of their lives, probably. That's not everybody, but that's most people. And so um, I kind of think back on my own trajectory and it's like the idea of getting better since I was in middle school to now, you know, the other stuff just kind of came as a default. And then when you look at amateurs, like, again, not always, but a lot of times it's like coming into the sport later or finding running later in life. um, And there needs to be like kind of some direction. And then I do think that they like getting better in the improvement and the masteries. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Like, I think that that's a mindset that um, should still be and is probably fostered, you know, with athletes at, at most levels, at least if you want to be successful over the long term. But I'm wondering if there's something like that of just like the direction and like, what does that even mean? You know, what does me mean? Um, improving or me quote-unquote mastering running for myself even mean and for some people that might be looking to like looking to the community or the sport as what that means which is a bq which is a sub three-hour marathon kind of these things that suggest that so i don't know if that made sense or answered your question but to me it's kind of like maybe a little bit when you came into the sport and and kind of which one was fostered or developed first if that if that makes sense
1: yeah putting it as the chicken or egg i think makes a lot of sense um Cool. It's just fun to like reflect on all of the these takeaways from from the podcast, and then sort of run it by someone who knows what knows what they're talking about instead of just um, catching you know trends and noticing these trends. So switching gears, this podcast will come out probably about a week or two before a big race of yours. How are you feeling about the journey ahead?
0: I'm feeling great. Yeah, it's um, at this point feels like I'm kind of at the tail end of the training journey. Leadville was my... So I'm assuming you're right to Leadville. Leadville yes. 100 um, was my first 100 in 2018. And while the performance was pretty good and the outcome was was pretty good, I, I'm not really proud of uh, the experience and how I handled things. And um, I'm super excited to be going back and to have another chance to like come full circle. Um, to go with that challenge again, I'm excited about the race in general. I'm really like emotionally and personally connected to that area for a number of reasons. My, my family has a place up there. I spend a lot of time up there. feel not like a local, but you know, I do exist in the community a lot of the time. and um, yeah, I'm just excited. It's one of my favorite places on the planet. So there's a lot of kind of layers or variables to why I, I love it up there so much and why I'm so excited. But yeah, the the training kind of flew by and seems like it's almost done. so excited for for race day.
1: What what will you be thinking about on the start line? Knowing you've you've been out there before, and it was your first hundred. Now you've got you know a little more experience under your belt.
0: Um, I mean, maybe even going back to what we were just talking about, this like getting better. You know, it was only four years ago, but I'm not the same person, and I've had multiple life changing experiences. You know, both both on and off the trails and there's a lot, my, my emphasis and focus and maybe drive behind my participation in the sport has changed a lot since then. And, um,
1: can you talk about that?
0: Yeah. Um, at that time I was two years into, to being a trail runner, I had competed on the track and roads for a long time and had just run the Olympic marathon trials, I think two years before, and had just missed the track trials by a few seconds, uh, in the steeplechase and, um, had really carried over that same, Kind of objective mindset of competition and really wanting to prove myself in the sport and had some success really early on and really dove into Leadville probably too soon. I I did it within like maybe five or six months of my first real ultra, like my first fifty mile. And um, I'm self coached at the time, like didn't know what the heck I was doing. Um and and just really approached it like super intense. I I need to win this race. Like I nothing else but winning matters to me and. Um, you know, I still want to win races and I still want to win this race and I still, you know, want to get a lot out of myself and perform at a high level. But to me, my why behind being involved in this sport is to impact the sport and to impact others. And that's something I get to do on a day to day basis with my job. And every time I line up and have one of these experiences myself, I, I feel like I learn things that I can take forward and then help others. And, you know, one of, the reasons why my family has a place up in Leadville and what we hope to eventually do is is bring people up there and, and train and you know talk about the mental and emotional side and share beautiful places. And so that, that area, like I said, in general just means a lot to me. And so um, me lining up there is is really about that. Like it's such a cool community up there. The race I have athletes I'm coaching that are racing. So um you know I'm gonna go out there and run my butt off and and I hope that I do well and I I hope that I cross the finish line first. But that's not my reason. My reason is you know, to, to be in an amazing place and to try something really hard and to handle the lows gracefully and to have a good attitude and remember what's important and winning is not everything. And I will be happy with the experience, you know, if I can remember those things in the moment and connect with the people around me and, um, embrace the lows and all of it that comes with it, then I will be happy, you know, regardless of, of what the outcome is.
1: So it's really sharing it with the community.
0: Yeah, I think so. And and like, you know, yeah, seeing other people, it's all relative. And that's what I love about our sport. You know, what I'm experiencing is pretty dang similar to what everyone else is. Maybe the, the time's a little bit different. So it's a magical thing to run 100 miles. And I'm, I feel lucky to be able to do it. So I guess there's just yeah, a lot more like gratitude. And um, it's about the, the whole experience and everything that comes with it and everyone that comes with it. And, and a lot less about, you know, winning races, which at the, you know, four years ago was kind of all I could see.
1: Do you think that anyone can run a hundred miles on foot?
0: Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, for the most part, yes, obviously I think that that would be unfair to, to suggest that like, you know, everyone could, there's a lot of different factors and, and maybe would simplify it a little bit, but, um, yeah, I don't, I famously say this all the time. And I think some people disagree is like running a hundred miles is not mostly about running. You know, it's, if you have a reason big enough to want to do it and yes, there's some training and preparation that needs to go into it, but the majority of it is just, um, that will and and mindset. And to me, there are definitely people in our sport and there's, you know, personalities of like this, like, like grit and harsh and like, let's do this. And I don't jive with that. To me, it's more about like the gratitude and like the appreciation and the embracing of the experience and, um, more like the softness of it, honestly, that, that speaks to me. And so, yeah, I think that, I think that most people could cover that distance.
1: You're sort of alluding to finding the why as being a required step in that process. If only there were a podcast focused on that. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, talking about, about finding the why. And like, so I think a lot of people have gotten into running. A lot of people have gotten into trail running lately as well. And maybe someone's, you know, thinking about going longer or faster or whatever, Um I think at any distance, at any pace, knowing your why is important because there are going to be days that suck that are out of your control. Like if it's raining or it's ninety-five degrees in Boulder right now, or you know stuff like that. Um, you can't toil through runs like that if if you don't know why you're doing it. So, what what advice would you give to someone who's you know struggling to identify what their why is?
0: I mean, a lot of times, at least what I found with myself was it's very easy, kind of like we were just talking about a few minutes ago with um, a sport that's pretty objective. And, you know, whether... Okay, if you're in a professional, the, the laid out benchmarks of making it are, you know, like making an Olympic team, making a world team, qualifying for USAs, you know, qualifying for an Olympic trials. Those are kind of like big benchmarks. If you're on an amateur side, there's, yeah, BQs and... You know, sub four hour marathons and sub three hour marathons, and it's it's very objective and it's very easy to inherit a why. It's very easy to exist in like a system or community where all of a sudden you've you know taken on this, and that's not even necessarily a why. That's more a goal. But sometimes people will, will treat goals as a why. You know, well, my why is because I want to break four hours, and it's like, well, I'm not sure that's a why. That's more of a goal than a why. Um, and, and a why should be you know a lot more personal. And to me, kind of what I was just alluding to. My big why at this point in my career, and at other points in my career, my why was different. But at this point in my career, my why is um, using running as a reflection of how I want to show up in the world. And you know, in the past, there have been races that I look back on, like Leadville in 2018, where I was not the person I want to be. You know, I want to be. Someone who's graceful when it's hard. I want to be someone who's cheering on the people around me, and and I and I also want to be someone that is not afraid to do hard things. And um, so I am able to call on that and remember that, you know, in a race. And you know, one of my other mantras is, is I think I've shared this to you before, but is, who are you now? You know, it's easy to be a certain way and to say those things when I'm comfortable and in my home or you know on an easy run or whatever. But when stuff's hitting the fan and things are really hard, and I you know, at my lowest, it's a lot more difficult to be the kind of person I want to be and to believe that I can still do something or, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever that's looking like in a moment. And so, um, when your why is a little bit more subjective, but to me also more meaningful, you're able to like confront that in any situation and remember that. And remember that like, regardless of how fast I'm running, I can always still connect with my why, even if I'm you know, barely making cutoffs or if I'm winning a race, you know, my why is still like tangible and reachable. And so, um, yeah, I think a common mistake, like I mentioned is using a goal as a why, which is not sustainable. And then, you know, you see a lot of times people getting too focused on that and then dropping out of a race once that seems like it's out of reach, um, because it's, it's not a sufficient why.
1: Yeah. It's so fascinating. Like what, what pushes us, when it pushes us and, and why, I guess, for (laughs) lack of, other words.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, I really like that you said it's about showing up as the person you want to be in life and in the run, and yeah, more broadly in life. Um, when you're struggling in a race and that's your North Star, how do you pull yourself out of that struggle?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. <laughs> um, again, I think, um, and it, it can be hard. I think sometimes I've gone the other direction where I can lean in too much to like, you know, I also want to be competitive. I also want to um this is another, I guess, why of mine or a value of mine is that it's really important to me. And someone asked me, I'm I'm racing speed goat this weekend, and someone asked me um in a, in an interview if um I was treating it as a training race. And this is never a dig on anybody else, and I have no qualms with how anybody decides to race or not race. But for, for me personally, racing is like a very meaningful experience for me, and when I race or line up, I, th- I believe fully that I owe it to myself, but to also everybody else in the field to like give my best day always, like no matter what that is. And sometimes that's a win, and sometimes that's hobbling to the finish line, but that's what I think I owe, and so that's something that I think about. And you know, I, I don't want to lean too far into the direction of. Um, accepting a low to the point where I forget that another value of mine is to like, I want to know I gave the best day I could. And so sometimes those ca- things can feel like they're in conflict. You know, if you're in a low moment, it can be hard sometimes to decide, like, do I succumb to this and, and maybe just like refocus my goals and pivot? And sometimes, yes, and other times, no. So I think there's like an honesty that you have to have with your, yourself in those lows to figure out where it's coming from and. What's happening and is it possible to pull yourself out of it? Um, so I think that's where I start is you know what's going on and is this is this something that I need to like problem solve and then like pull up my big girl pants and like get going or is this something that I need to recognize is requiring a shift in my goals for this race and and then address that and that can be difficult to to do you know sometimes or to do in a moment. but, when you see the the performances that aren't as great or the performances that I've had that were not great, it was because I got so stuck in the fact that I was in a low that I didn't, you know, decide on one of those kind of routes. You know, you just kind of start throwing a pity party and I would just keep trying to like force the race that I thought was supposed to happen and ignore like what was going on around me. So yeah, I mean, a low is information and it's feedback and sometimes it's actionable and sometimes it's not. But um, to just put your head down and try and grit through it without confronting the kind of the things, the scenarios I mentioned for me hasn't really been successful.
1: That makes sense. So for someone actually curious, your your opinion on like what are what are the aspects of running that you've observed people needing to work on the most from a mental strength standpoint? Like, why would somebody work with you? What have they generally been? Missing? What are they um, struggling with? That kind of a thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, to to be honest, where I usually start with people and where I've seen the most progress is um, like distraction management. And so, when I talk about when I think about performance, and this is really in any context, even just day to day life, we could all do, we could all do this and, and look at our day and see if we're doing this effectively. But definitely in a race setting. You are just being bombarded with information. Um, like there's just information flying at you rapidly, and that that's like the course, the terrain, the pace, the effort, how your body feels, what the weather is, the person next to you, the crowd, what they're saying. There's just like information everywhere, and a lot of people have a hard time. Um, you know, you'll often hear hear people make statements like, "I lost focus," or "I don't know," I just kind of like blinked or like blacked out during the race, and Usually, that's not true. It's usually that your your focus was like misplaced or not where it should be to be most productive for you. And each person is kind of different. Like we all have different like attentional styles that are strengths and attentional styles that are more challenging. Um, and I could I could go into that in more detail, but I think it would be too much. Um, and so part of it is figuring out preference, figuring out like looking on past performances and noticing like okay, well when I performed really well, like what was I focused on? What was I using? You know, to, to go back to the information, like all of it can be classified as either a f- uh, feedback or a distraction, and it's really knowing what that is in a given moment, and it changes moment to moment. Um, you know, how your body feels early in a race is 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 definitely feedback, but how your body feels in the last five percent distance of a race is really just a distraction. And um, you know, there's different criteria that fall into each, and the people that know whether consciously or subconsciously, know like where their focus needs to be to perform the best. And then second even more important skill, know how to like manage the distractions that threaten to like pull that focus away are the ones that execute. Um, and so that's honestly <laughs> the bulk of the work I do with people is you know, figuring out preferences, figuring out strengths, figuring out weaknesses, and then anticipating, you know, in a race setting, all right, if we know that you perform the best when you're focusing on this, you know, in the middle third of a race, like let's talk about all the things that might distract you. And then again, the hardest part, developing the skills to deal with those distractions.
1: Very cool. Yeah.
0: yeah. Simple, not easy. Is the way <laughs> I like to say it's simple concept, not easy to do, yeah. but yeah.
1: Well, the unfortunate um, weakness of this podcast is the internet connection. So we may, we may have to go round two in, uh, in Leadville. But, um, for now, if, if people want to find you follow along with your, with your journey or maybe find your book, um, where can we find you on, uh, on your corner of the internet?
0: Uh, yeah, the book is called uh, mental training for ultra running. It's, um, for sale on Amazon. Um, I'm just on Instagram at, at Addie Bracy, Um, and my uh, mental performance practice is called strive mental performance.
1: Awesome. Well, would love to go another round with you and, uh, We'll be cheering for you up in Leadville and uh, can't wait to see how your second lap of uh, of those mountains goes.
0: Awesome. Yeah, thank you.
1: Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run and in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo was created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village.